Yeah. Definitely a blessing to see all these kids. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Okay, this uh, evening uh, teaching text will be Genesis chapter 24. It's a very long chapter. So we're not going to read every verse in it. Uh, We have a few selections there. Uh, I think it's probably one of the longest uh, chapters in the Bible. So let us hear the reading of God's word from Genesis chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offsprings, I, for to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young women to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel 
and two bracelets for her arms, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder, and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. To verse 48. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Verse 61. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Berlaharoi and was dwelling in Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is God's word. So a very lengthy chapter. It's going to be a very important story that's being told. As you can see, the heading there of the, of the teaching text is the story of the most important marriage ever. Why is it one of the stories of the most important marriage ever? Because this is the way that God would provide to continue his promise. He promised to Abraham a seed, that through one seed there would be a multiplication of people throughout the world because God was providing to himself a people, a nation for himself. If this marriage doesn't take place with Isaac, then that promise comes to an end. And all of that marriage is to give us a foreshadowing of the marriage that is coming to Christ. Because ultimately, the promise that was made to Abraham, we read in Galatians, is about the one promised seed who is Jesus Christ. That the promise that was being made to Abraham, how God would call a people for himself, was speaking of the one seed in Christ Jesus who Isaac was a type of. So we want to keep that in the backdrop of our mind as we start to kind of unpack this narrative. Now, we're going to talk about this word providence. It's a very churchy, very theological word. A lot of times we use it 
And I'm not sure fully do we apprehend it. Do we really grab a hold of what we're saying that this is being worked out in God's providence? It's almost like we use it as an excuse just to explain something that we're not fully sure of, of why it came about. And so as Christians, I believe it's very important that we don't do that. And I think in this story, in this narrative that we're going to look at by God's grace tonight, we can see the way that providence is working. There are different types of providences that we have in our life as Christians, and all the world has. Some of them are what we consider hard providences. They're providences that really uh, go against the grain of the joys of our life. Okay? This is not that story. This story is more about the celebratory instances of God's providence. And so when we talk about the word providence, we can look into our catechism answer, that what the providence of God is, it's his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all of their actions. And so simply put, the way I like to kind of grasp it is that it's how God provides what he wants to come about. God will provide everything that is necessary to bringing about what he desires to come about. And he does that by governing his creatures and all of their actions. So we've got to unpack that a little bit and understand that further. Sometimes we can dip down into the extremes of looking at providence in a very narrow way and it almost becomes fatalistic. And so Christians really have to be able to distinguish between what is fatalism and what is providence. Fatalism is a blind, random falling out of events by chance. That's what we're looking at is that we can't understand the events, so we just accept, oh, they fell out, now we've got to make sense of them. We've got to see how we can go about taking them and using them for our advantage. And ultimately, what the big difference is between fatalism and providence is that fatalism doesn't really have a purpose. It's what you make of it. When we come to providence, this is one way a theologian would say it has eyes. Okay? There is some purpose behind it. There's a great meaning behind it. It's not random. It's not falling out by chance, but it's falling out by design. That God has an overarching purpose that is under what is happening and the circumstances that are coming out in life. And so those purposes and the end, what's hard about providence for us, is those purposes and their ends are known unto God. They're not always known to us. So we can look at that and wrestle with that and therefore start to look at what we have control over and we start to kind of forget about God. And so we can look in this picture and we'll see that's not how Abraham lives. That's not how Abraham lives at all. Abraham lives with the understanding of his relationship with God. His relationship with God. So the first point that we're going to see, the first structure of the narrative that we want to kind of unpack, is that Abraham sends his servant to take a wife for Isaac. And so there what we're seeing is that Abraham is going to teach us how we are to trust in the sovereignty of God's providence. There's another big word that we kind of conflate with providence is sovereignty. Or sovereignty and providence 
the same thing. Sovereignty, what is, by definition, I would lay out for you, is the right and the power of God to do whatever he decides to do. Okay? And what providence is, is what God provides in order to do whatever he decides to do. Okay? So sovereignty, he has the right, he has the power to do whatever he wants to do. And providence is the way that he provides. You can kind of hear the word right there in the middle of providence. Provide is the way that he's going to bring it about. And so God is going to show us, that's all. what the whole redemptive story is, is that God is going to show us how he's going to make a people and a nation for himself that will honor his name in the earth. That's what he promised to Abraham and that's what he's going to provide for by preparing a wife uh, for Isaac. So the one that was promised to Abraham that came out of the deadness of Sarah's womb and came out of the, uh, against all of nature and understanding of one that could have a child, uh, Abraham and Sarah, that through that one promise, one, would come the great promise, the great people that God would call unto himself. And so Abraham will speak uh, very clearly about uh, this is what the Lord God of heaven has said unto me. So providence is something that doesn't lead us to worship or focus upon means in our life. Okay? It doesn't, in other words, lift those up above God himself. The purpose of providence is to point us to depend upon God, upon our creator. So it's not depending simply on random chance or random events. It's not even depending upon my abilities or my wisdom above God, but it is to show how much I depend upon God, how much I need God. And so Abraham tells his servant, you, can kind of, you see the very covenant relationship that he's having with his servant here. He tells him to put your hand under my thighs, a very intimate action that's taking place. And it's showing that there's a great union or a connection in their relationship towards one another that is centered about this promise that God has told Abraham where he is to get his son's wife. And so God is telling Abraham and preparing Abraham, and Abraham is telling his servants, go and take a wife for my son Isaac. And there Abraham is trusting in the sovereignty of God's providence. We can hear that in that language there uh, when the servant says, well, what if? What if the woman is not willing to come back with me? And there, that, that is part of the, the dilemma or the uh, conflict for us in dealing with God's providence is we don't know what the final end is going to be in God's providence. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do you trust? How do you trust in the sovereignty of God's providence? Do you trust in the sovereignty of God's providence? I think the first thing that Abraham shows us is that he's recognizing his own finitude in the current season of his life. When we are strong, young, and vibrant, we, we really depend upon ourselves 
in a greater way, in a greater measure, where we kind of just put God on the back burner, and we don't look at him. But here, Abraham had come and confronted death, because this chapter comes right after the death of his wife, Sarah. And so he is contemplating the season of his life. He's recognizing that he has a finitude about him. And those who trust in the sovereignty of God, they come to that recognition that they recognize they're not God. If you believe that you're in control above God, then you won't trust in God's sovereign providence. You'll trust in your abilities and in your power, and everything about God will be swallowed up about what you are wanting so much in yourself and all the dependence and trust you put in yourself. And so when we recognize our own finitude in the current season of our life, we're asking, here Abraham is saying, I'm recognizing that I'm old and I need to prepare for my son. I need to prepare for my son to have a wife so that he can have children. And certainly what was laying in the backdrop, Abraham shows us, was the promise that God made to him. The promise that God made to him, that covenant relationship. So that tells us the second thing that we need in order to trust in the sovereignty of God's providence is we got to take our relationship with God seriously. We got to take our relationship with God seriously in the way that God tells us we are to take our relationship with Him seriously. So often we try to control and define what our relationship with God is going to be like. He tells us in his word of the relationship he wants from us. He wants all of us. He wants our heart. He wants our mind. He wants our will. He wants our full dependence and commitment to him. And if we don't have a full dependence and commitment to him, then we're not fully trusting in the things and the ways that God provides for us in the way that God uh, demonstrates his care and his love for us, we're just going about life in a fatalistic way. We're looking at the circumstances and how they're falling out in our life, and we're not seeing that it is our creator that provides for us and cares for us to bring about his will. A picture's clearly there as we can look at our Lord Jesus Christ when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was saying, looking for another way, if you will, to demonstrate the certainty of God's purpose and decree in his death. That he was praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But he says, nevertheless, thy will be done. He's bowing down and depending upon the providential hand of God to bring about his decree and his purpose. That's our Savior. That is the Lord and the King of all creation, demonstrating to us how he lived in relationship with his Father. So how should we live in relationship with our Father? How should we live in that relationship? We would, should see it's a covenantal relationship. God makes a promise, and we are to trust in that promise. We're to follow through in the promise and the, and the commitment that we have made with God. 
The third way that we trust, that Abraham shows us that we should trust in the sovereignty of God's providence is we believe in God's holiness. It wasn't just acceptable to Abraham that Isaac would have a wife from anywhere that the servant would find a wife to find a beautiful woman, one that may be pleasing to the uh, sight or even into the, in the provision of his life but that he was to take him from a take her from a very specific place and if that person if the one woman that the servant found would not come back with him he was not to take Isaac to that land he was not to bring him back into the non-covenantal place where God said that Isaac would find his wife where Isaac was to uh, find the woman which God would provide. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we believe in God's holiness? Not just simply by our mouth. I believe everyone, every Christian would say, yes, of course I believe in God's holiness. Well, examine your life. Examine my life. Do I truly believe in God's holiness? Am I being subjected to the standard of God's word every single day of my life where it is leading me to depend upon God to provide for me that I can live in right relationship with him? Because he's provided his word. He's provided prayer. He's provided fellow Christians. He's provided the church. He's provided the means of grace for us to draw nearer to our Lord where we can experience the promise that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And when we don't draw near to him and depend upon him and we're depending upon ourselves, we're not near to our God. We're not near to the promises in the way that we have privilege to, to come into the, the holy of holies into that, and bow at the throne of grace and take from our Lord what he is so happy to give to us. And the final thing of how we trust in God's sovereign providence is you have to know who is ultimately in control. Who is God? Who is God in your life? Is he the one that gives you breath from the moment that you wake? Or do you just take that as a, as a circumstance of life. It's just part of the law of nature. It's just part of the way that every person gets up and lives life. Or are we truly recognizing our creator daily that he is ultimately in control? <coughs> Abraham is showing you that. When he's following through, you can hear always is that I make, here in verse 3, that I make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites on whom I dwell. And then in verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And so you can hear the language 
that Abraham's speaking of is the Lord of heaven. The Lord of heaven. He knows who's in control. Now that doesn't uh, keep him from acting. That basically propels him on to rest upon the power and the promise of God. To get about the business of being a follower of God. To understand that God is providing to keep his promise going. There will not be an end of the seed. He will provide for Isaac. Because there we also see the, the, the clear understanding of what marriage is. Marriage is very important to God. Marriage is very important to God in a way we can even say it's very providential. That God provides for marriage from the very beginning. If we look at the story of creation, we see that God provided for marriage by giving Adam a helpmeet and Eve to show that it must be the way that God provides for creation to be sustained, for the world to continue, and for it to be propagated. Go out and be fruitful and multiply. God provides for that. God has provided for his will and his decree that the world will be propagated with images all about God so that he can be glorified and that he can be enjoyed. And there you see the providential hand, the sovereign providential hand of God to bring it about because he provides the way of how that would be done. The second point that we see tonight in this story is that Rebecca, the chosen bride, is revealed. We see that throughout the, the whole narrative, but especially there in verse 12 through 14. There the, the servant is asking, is asking for the revelation of who is the bride. Who are you providing for, God? Who is it that you provide for Isaac to marry? And so we see there in verse 12, it says, And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink? And I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. It's not random chance there that the servant's talking about. He's speaking very clearly and very distinct language in a very particular way of how the one that is being chosen for Isaac would be known and revealed. And so that it leads us to the other uh, thing that we need to understand about God's providence. There's a mystery in it. There's a mystery of God's providence. And God, by God's grace, we discover the mystery of God's providence. That's what the servant was communicating there. Is I want to know. I want to know. I want to see. I want to discover. Who is it that you have chosen for Isaac? Who is it that you have chosen? Reveal her to me. Reveal the bride to me. 
He is depending upon, we can see that he's trusting that he would have success today. But he's asking God that he would have success today. He's not just looking for random happenings or random success. He's looking for the the blessing of God, that God would bring about his will and make it known. And so that brings many questions to us as we deal with the mystery of God's providence. How do we know what God is providing for? How do we know what God is providing for? That will always sit there in our lives. We, we figure we, we are looking for opportunities in our life, and we're wondering, well, is this really God's will? How many times have we said that in our life? Is this God's will? And what we're really saying, is God providing for this? Is God doing this? Is this something that's real, real, right? Is this something for real? And so when we're discovering the mystery of God's providence, how do we know what God is providing for? The servant here was looking for confirmation from God. Looking for confirmation. We can see here in the scriptures it would be nice that we could lay out, here's our conditions, God, tell us and show us these conditions that come about. Then we'll really know that you mean business, that what you're saying is truly happening. But that's not the ordinary way that God's providence has come to us because it's not necessarily full of faith. Remember that providence, if it's truly a dependence or a trust in God's providence, it is not going to bring you to the end or the circumstance. It's going to bring you to the one who controls the circumstance, God. Do you depend upon God? Does it lead you to bow down to the sovereignty of God? Do you really believe that he has the right And he has the power to do whatever he decides in this world. We have to be confronted with that every single day. When the things that come in our life that we don't want, are we willing to bow down to God and say, nevertheless, but thy will be done. Nevertheless, thy will be done. When that takes place, you are truly submitting to the sovereignty of God's providence. And so there, by God's grace, you discover the mystery of God's providence. It's sometimes it runs counter, many times it runs counter to what we want or what we feel or what we desire. But God is working out his good pleasure, okay, for, especially for Christians, for your good. Do you trust God that that is the case? Do you rely upon that that is the case? And so here the servant speaks there in verse 21 after, he, the, after Rebekah comes out and does the very thing, does the very thing that he said to God, if this woman does this, then show me, you know, let it be the one whom you have appointed. He was saying that would be confirmation to him that the one who was appointed by God, provided by God, is if she does this very thing. So Rebecca comes and does those very things. <coughs> in verse 21, he says, The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord has prospered his journey or not. You can almost see the man was wondering, Is this God's will? Is this really who God has provided? 
for Isaac. He sought to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So how are we, questions that would rise up to us in our life, is how should the circumstances of our life be read and understood? How do we learn whether or not that's truly of God's providence? Whether or not what is taking place, are we discovering God's will for us at that moment? The first thing that I would encourage you to understand, and I believe that it's been applied in my life, is that you do not speculate on what God is doing. Because then you start to play God. You start to try to figure out what God is doing and controlling and manipulating God to get the very thing that you want. And you're not resting in who God is and what God provides. That's hard to do. It's hard to do because we have desires. We have wants. It's also hard to do because we have to understand how God works out his providence. He works out his providence through means, through ways. And sometimes he works through those ways or means, and other times he works against those ways and means because he is sovereign. And that confuses us. And that brings us to do what? Depend upon God. Not upon the means. Not upon the ways. Think about having financial hardships in your life. You think the only way that it can be provided for that you would receive comfort or relief is to get the financial resources that you want and you desire. But then God comes along in your life and goes contrary to those very means of what you rationalize that you need, and he provides in another way. He provides in a way that you just can't understand that passes our understanding as we learn this morning. Because God's providence is mysterious. God's, there's a mystery of God's providence because his ways are known unto him. But yet God in his goodness and his love, he has given us revelation of his ways. He has given us revelation in his word to tell us how we are to live, how we are to walk with him, how we are to trust him, how we are to commit our lives to him and, uh, and be faithful to him. And know who he is as our God. And so when we are discovering the mystery of God's providences, you cannot have much daylight between you and the scripture. The scripture are what God gives us that we can discover the working power of God. And in them, we must seek God in his appointed day. Lord, what have you willed? What have you purposed? Just think about the hardship of death. None of us want to see anything, any one of the death of our loved ones. But yet there is a day that God provides for where death does occur. And it's the way that God works out to show the power and the sovereignty that he has over life and death. And for a Christian, that's the way that God provides for us to be delivered from this world and be in the presence of our God in Christ Jesus. That's the sovereign providence of God. And do we seek God in those moments where we just can't understand why did God work in that way? Why did he provide in that way? Because it was for me to go and have a relationship and do business with God. That's what it's all about. 
What God has given and shown in the providence of all of creation is that his creation would do business with him. Do business with him. That how is it that we are saved if we're God's people? How is it that we are saved? Is that we have to come to the ways that God provided for our salvation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and do business with him. Because if we look to our own righteousness, we're not doing business with God. We're telling God on our terms, this is how salvation would come. But when we see that our righteousness is as filthy rags and I need another righteousness, that I can stand before a holy and righteous God, then I am confronting with the reality of God's sovereign providential hand who's provided a Savior. That in his death it declares me to be the highest criminal and the highest sinner that has committed the crimes that it deserves death, but in it the mercy of God is proclaimed. And so when God provides for us, do we seek him and do we seek his appointed day? Because God is going to work through means. God is going to work through his promises. He's doing something more here than just getting a wife for Isaac. He's providing to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham and all the children of Abraham. And all the children of Abraham, according to the scripture, are the children of faith. Those who believe in the promise of God, that are born, that come to God in the way that Abraham came. Not by his works, not by his own righteousness, not by the doing of the law, but by faith. By faith. And everyone who is born of faith, you're children of God. You are given the privilege of being a child of God to enter into the promises, to enter into this union in which the word of God is pointing us to, to a great day when by his particular love, by his power of sovereign election, the wife of the Lord Jesus Christ is chosen, is chosen and taken out of her land and joined to the person of Christ Jesus, that you can be you can live with him and dwell with him and go into his house. And that's the third point that we come to tonight in the narrative, is that Rebecca leaves her home and Isaac meets his bride. And what we see here, Isaac embraces his bride. And what we're encouraged to do is embrace the beauty of God's providence. God provided a wife for Isaac and at what time and at what season in Isaac's life did God's promise come? It comes at the moment where he just lost his mother. He was in that moment where it's there he, he has lost the, the most intimate relationship that he had with the woman that was in his life, his mother. And here God provides a wife, Rebecca. And Rebecca leaves her family behind. Leaves, she's, she's made willing. That's another thing that we have to realize as Christians, is that God doesn't work against the will. He works through the will. The way that he provides is he bends the will to his purpose and to what he decrees. 
and his sovereign hand. He prepares us as, the, as a bride for our Lord Jesus. We are not prepared in ourselves to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in the beauty of our person. We must be prepared. We must be cleansed. We must, we must be adorned. What took place the very first thing that the servant did was put gold rings, gold bracelets, adorned her with the love of the master. Adorned her with the message that she's cherished, that she's valued. And every Christian that is prepared to meet their Lord and Savior is adorned by the gospel. The gospel that says that you are clean, that you are washed, you are given the promise that you are made righteous by the blood of Christ to be prepared to be joined to your husband and him. So how do we embrace the beauty of God's providence? We must prepare ourselves to meet what God has prepared for us even as the seasons of our life change. We see the beauty of God's way versus our way. That's really the, the very key to embracing God's providence, is do we see the beauty of God's will, even when it runs counter to our desires, even when it runs counter to, to what we want and what we expect, but we can bow down and say, God's way is better than my way. God's way is better than my way. Do we set out upon the life of faith with our eye upon the blessed union with our Savior? That's really where it gets to, in embracing the beauty of God's providence. Do you see that your life is to bring you into union with Christ Jesus? That's what takes place with Rebecca. Rebecca is searched out and sought for to bring her to be joined to Isaac, who's the type of Christ, who's saying that this is what the marriage relationship looks like for the church in Christ, for God's people in Christ. We are sought after and we're taken out of our land and we're brought into the land where Isaac is, where Jesus is, and we're joined to him and we're brought into his dwelling place. So to embrace the beauty of God's providence, we leave behind our old life of depending upon ourselves and submit to the sovereignty of God. And we commit our life to trusting and following him. Embrace the beauty of God's providence. Bow down to his sovereignty and see that through his goodness and through his mercy, he provides for his will to be done in our lives. That is something that we should rejoice in, and that should be something that we should praise his holy name.